Amen. That song gets up there, doesn't it? <clears throat> kind of hurt my throat getting up there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. What I'm going to be preaching on tonight, we are reminded of really in several places of Scripture. I'm going to be preaching on the power and the responsibility of influence. And I could even say the power, the responsibility, and the danger of influence. For truly, no man is an island unto themselves. We all influence others. And we are influenced by others. For good or for bad. I don't know about you, but I want to be the right kind of influence. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, for to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. The power, the responsibility, and the danger of influence. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we meet together tonight, that you'll challenge each of our hearts with the responsibility of what influence we bring to bear on other people. For truly, we don't just influence our brethren in the faith, we influence those around us who don't know our Christ. Not only that, we influence our young people. And we all have some kind of influence. God, may we spend it wisely. I pray that you deal with our hearts tonight. I pray you'd convict where conviction is needed. May we listen on purpose. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We have a new term that we hear a lot. I don't remember hearing this term years ago, but we hear it all the time now. It's the term influencer. There are a lot of so-called influencers out there. Now, whether or not that's good or bad has a whole lot to do with what it is, first of all, what it is they're trying to influence about and who it is that they're trying to influence. As I mentioned the other day when there was the drag queen parade that they had, and was it in New York City or one of those places, they went through the streets chanting, we are here, we are queer, and we are after your children. And when people got upset with that, and sought to rebuke them, they stood even more firm. We are after your children. And they are. That whole woke philosophy that is running rampant in our nation today, they feel that they have both a right and a responsibility. That if you have a child that goes to the government school system, that they have a right to change the identity, the gender identity of your child, not only without your consent, but without your knowledge. They feel they have the right to try to make them, not what God made them, but what they want your child to be. Influencers. Well, a lot of influencers in this world. Christians have influence as well. Unfortunately, not all of that is good, and it should always be good and right. The power to influence is a great power. It affects lives. Sometimes it affects lives for all of their lives. To deny that influence would be both wicked and dishonest. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 declares, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Some have had been influenced by others, and you recognize that. I know in my life, I've had a number of people who have influenced me, both for good and for bad. Um, Thank God many preachers have been a good influence in my life, and some of them I get to see a lot because I preach around with some of them, and they've had a tremendous influence on blessing my life and challenging my heart. But I remember preaching a few years ago out in Jacksonville, Arkansas for Brother Mike Files, And I was there to preach a a, a conference, missions conference, and there was another preacher there I'd never heard of before. I not only not heard his name, I never met him, I never heard him preach. At that particular time, I was going through a real valley in my life. I mean, I was struggling. And when the guy got up to preach, his name is Doug Fisher, he pastors out in California. And he's an unusual preacher. If you've heard him preach, he's... You sit there and thinking, wow, this is unusual. He's just an unusual preacher. But right from the very first message, he challenged my heart about some things. And whereas I went there, down in the dumps, hoping to be a blessing to other people, God didn't have me there as much to be a blessing to other people, but to influence me to straighten out my thinking and get my heart back on the mountaintop where it should have been. And when I left there, I was on the mountaintop because of the influence of that particular preacher. We see a lot of examples of that in the scripture. For instance, Amnon, David's son, had a friend. And that friend influenced him to do something that even though he wanted to do it, he would not have done it had he not been influenced by his friend, Jonadab. It was to defile his own sister. 
And that brought about his death, brought about the death of his brother, the defiling of his sister, and a great deal of problems for the nation of Israel also. In the giving of the Corinthians, giving to the poverty of the saints in Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul tells us that their willingness to give was an influence upon many in Macedonia to also be able to give. I'll tell you that Madison Baptist Church, I use you as an example of a lot about giving to missions and what God has done through you in the last few years. Uh, you know, in 2019, I'll go through the dates, 2019, how much we gave to missions, 2020, 2021, 2022, when we gave over a million dollars. And uh, I want to tell you, that has an impact on people. You, in, you influence folks. When uh, these churches, when they see so many different ones coming out of Madison Baptist Church to go to the mission field, that makes an impact on those people. We are all influenced. Unfortunately, some are only influenced by the loudest voices. And yet it's not the loudest voices who always give the right kind of influence. For that, you still have to be grounded in some way to the word of God. You remember, of course, we've been studying on Wednesday, the book of Galatians. And you remember in chapter 2, when Paul talks about uh, when he was at Antioch, Peter came up there and fellowshiped both with the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. But when some of the believers, uh, false brethren, Paul calls them, but some of the people from the church down in Jerusalem came up, they so intimidated Peter that he withdrew from the Gentile believers and would only eat with the Jewish believers. And then Peter's response in being drawn away ended up impacting Barnabas, that good man. And it impacted the Jewish believers that were in the church. That those people from the Jerusalem church that had come up there with some baggage that was totally wrong created a problem in the church at Antioch that never should have been created and they did it by their influence. Several kings of Israel and of Judah, like for instance, guys like Jeroboam, Baasha, Omri, Manasseh, the scripture says that they made Israel to sin. They had an influence. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. The higher up you go in leadership, the more responsible that you will be for what influence you bring upon others. You remember the judgment that took place at the fall. Why was the serpent judged like he was judged? Because of his influence upon Eve. He spoke. Now you'd have thought she'd have been a little sharper and just hearing that snake speak ought to have been a warning to her right away. But especially when the first words out of his mouth was, yea, hath God said. You start questioning God when anybody questions God right there. You ought to say, wait a second, danger. Danger, that's how the bad stuff got started in the Garden of Eden because somebody began questioning the word of God. Eve also had an influence on her husband, Adam. Now, he's responsible for the sin that he committed. 
But she did have an influence. The scripture says that she ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she gave to her husband and he did eat. Now, when you realize that we have an impact upon people and you look at the number of different examples, I think that we have blinded ourselves to what our influence really is. And you may say what you want about when it comes to, whether it be standards, right and wrong, surrendering to the Lord, making your life count for God or whatever. You say, well, uh, it's my life, I can do what I want, but your life impacts other lives. And let me remind you of the scripture that tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in this body. You will give an account before God for your influence. Now, I have referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 several times. Of course, we've pre preached through Corinthians a few times, I think three times since I've been pastor here, maybe a little bit more than that. I have referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 a number of times because unfortunately, when most of the commentators start writing up on 1 Corinthians, they treat chapter 8 like it is there all by itself and they come to some false conclusions. And part of the problem with that is they do not recognize that chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians all go together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he is dealing with the Corinthians where they thought they were. They thought they were spiritual. He deals with them on that basis in chapter 8. It had to do with eating meat offered in sacrifice unto idols, something that at least five years before, the Holy Spirit of God had already spoken on in Acts chapter 15. The Holy Ghost had already told the churches one of the necessary things that they were not to do. They were not to eat meat offered in sacrifice to idols. You get to chapter 9 and you find three different things. Paul uses himself as an example. Three different things that would have been perfectly right for him to do that he did not do because he didn't want to have a negative or a wrong influence upon those people. One of the things he wouldn't do, he wouldn't, he wouldn't allow them to take care of his living. Later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he makes this statement, referring back to that again. He says, forgive me this wrong. He said, I should have made you take care of me. Forgive me this wrong. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had the power to lead about a wife. He didn't do that. So we see that there were things he didn't do for the sake of the Corinthians, and he's basically telling them, uh, you know, I'm not just telling you uh, to give up that thing that you like doing, eating that meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Look at me. I was willing to give up some things that were perfectly right for me to do, but I gave them up for your sakes. But then he gets to chapter 10, and in chapter 10, he straightens out what a sacrifice to idols really is. And he strictly forbids them to eat meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Now, when you're in chapter 8, the apostle Paul is not only dealing with them where they thought they were, but he is also dealing with them mainly here about the influence 
that they have on other Christians. So instead of rehashing the misreadings of this chapter, let's try to get a hold of its truths. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, you've got knowledge versus love. Notice what he says. Now, it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we have knowledge. We all have knowledge. Notice that. We all have knowledge. That is, we all have knowledge, or at least we think we do. Now, I had an aunt... Bless her heart. She's been gone now for a number of years. But uh, I had an aunt that if she entered into a room, it made no difference what the subject was that was being discussed. She was the final authority on that subject in her own mind. And she would start talking right away and everyone was expected to listen. I mean, it didn't matter what the subject was. She knew everything that needed to be known about everything. Now, you may know some people like that. If they're in this room, please don't stare at them right now. That would be greatly appreciated. But we all have knowledge. Now, notice this thing about knowledge. Whether it's right knowledge or wrong knowledge, faulty knowledge or correct knowledge, notice knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. I was taught early on, matter of fact, I was taught as a young man, even by my parents, when adults are in the room, you, you sit and listen, talking about children. That children basically didn't have anything to teach the adults. If the adults asked something, then that would be fine. As a preacher, God called me to preach. I went off to Bible college, had the privilege of hearing a number of great preachers and so on. I praise the Lord for that. But when I got into a room or into a place with a bunch of older preachers, I listened. I figured they'd been at it a whole lot longer than me. And they had something to teach me if I would just listen. But I have found in the last 30 years that most of the young preachers I run into are young missionaries. They already think that they are the gold standard for whatever they are. And they know everything. And they don't ask older preachers for any wisdom because they've read the books by Rick Warren. Therefore, they know how to run a purpose-driven church. And uh, what's really funny, we had a missionary like that in Mexico that we ran into. Um, sat off to the side. We were having a special meal outside one evening. And the oldest boy of that missionary came up. Man, he just started talking and we were all expected just to listen right then. Now, that irritates me just a little bit because my lost daddy taught me better than that. There's a time to be quiet and listen. You can learn and keep from making a lot of mistakes. Well, so he says, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet is he ought to know. But get this, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. So he says, here's the thing, knowledge puffs up. If you happen to think on some subject and you're around a bunch of people that you have the expert knowledge of that subject, you kind of want to let it out that you do. But charity edifies. All right, we all have knowledge about things. We all have knowledge about things. But it's one thing to want our knowledge to be esteemed 
It's another thing to love them. And sometimes you just sit and listen to what people are saying. As a matter of fact, if you've got something you really want to be taken in by some people, they're probably not going to listen until you recognize them as having something worth listening to as well. Now, that's just a little extra wisdom that we find in this passage. Now, there's a danger here. Uh, These people had been eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Something, as I said, the Holy Spirit of God had already spoken about in Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council. It was one of those things they were not to do. So what he says in the next verse is this. This was the position of these people in the church at Corinth. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is none other God but one. So we've got two things that we know about idols. One of the things that we know about idols that in the world is nothing. I mean, you take a stone and you make a figure out of it, it's still just a stone. It has no divine powers. You take a statue of Buddha. It is whatever the metal properties are that are in it. That's all that it is. It's not a God. It doesn't hear prayer. It doesn't answer prayer. It's absolutely nothing. Do you understand that? The second thing that we know is that there is none other God but one. Now, both of those things are true. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So we are reminded here in this passage about this matter of idols in verses 4 through 6. Truth about idols, they are not really gods. They're just whatever they are. By the way, that's something that is taught in Psalm 145 or 115 verses 4 through 8. Because their gods are gods that have eyes that see not, ears that hear not, mouths that speak not, feet that walk not, hands that handle not. Because there are no, they are no gods. That is true. That is biblical. Truth about God is there is one true God and one Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that you can have two true statements like that and yet be brought to a wrong conclusion. Their conclusion was this. Therefore, since the God is really nothing, and we know there's only one God, therefore, if I eat meat offered in sacrifice to that stone that other people think is a God... It's really sacrificed to nothing. Therefore, it's okay if I eat it. They came to a faulty conclusion based on two things that were true that they knew. It's easy to come to wrong conclusions. You remember Job's three friends? After seven days with Job, the first thing they heard come out of his mouth was he cursed his day. And they came to a wrong conclusion. What they believed was true They believed that God does chasten his children. They believed that. 
Therefore, since Paul's hurt, or since Job's hurting and he's cursing his day, he must be chastening Job. But that was wrong. They came to a wrong conclusion. Now, in this passage, it's uh, their conclusion meant that meat offered in sacrifice to idols is really sacrificed to nothing. Therefore, it's all right. You know, part of the problem with the Calvinist is this. They take a couple of truths and then they come to a wrong conclusion. For instance, if every Calvinist would say God is sovereign, we believe God is sovereign. But what they do with that sovereignty is they say, since God is sovereign and he's God, anything that he wills has to happen because he is God. So if people, anybody dies and goes to hell, it's because God willed for them to go to hell. So on the basis of their reasoning, not scripture, but reasoning that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, he has to only mean the elect. That he doesn't really want everyone, even though it clearly says that, he doesn't really want everyone to come to repentance because, because he's God, he could take care of that on his own. But obviously he's chosen not to save them so they can't even get saved. They take a truth and they came to a wrong conclusion. And you would think that they'd be smart enough, they think they are, but they think they'd be smart enough to get it. Then when God says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that they wouldn't keep adding elect in there when it doesn't say it. Whosoever is whosoever. And whosoever will may come. So they have to come up. It, It becomes a religion of reasoning that presents a very false view of God. And that is a shame. So in verses seven and eight, notice he says, how be it? Now, he's just covered this thing about they're not really gods. How be it there's not in every man that knowledge? For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto the idol. And their conscience, he uses the term being weak, is defiled. But God commendeth us not, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat it are we the better. Neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. Now again he uses the term to them that are weak. All right. How does he mean that? Who are the ones that are weak? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians is going to say, we are weak, but ye are strong. Were the Corinthians really stronger spiritually than Paul? He's obviously speaking sarcastically here because back in chapter 3, he gives us their true spirituality. He says, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and division... Are ye not carnal? And speak as men. They were a carnal people, not a spiritual people. And here they are teaching people that it's all right to do something that God has said they're not to do. Does that sound like spiritual people to you? 
Are people that didn't eat the meat offered to idols, are they really the weak ones? Remember what I told you early on? In this passage, chapters 8, 9, and 10, they all go together. And in chapter 8, he's dealing with the Corinthians where they thought they were. You know, in dealing with people that have some very false views, sometimes you've got to begin reasoning with them by where they think they are before you can get them to where they really are. And that's what he's doing here. Now, they're proud. Yeah, those weak, those weak ones who won't eat the meat offered and sacrificed to idols, they're the problem. But notice they're, how they're not the problem. He says in verse 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, notice of yours, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge set at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Now, he's made a very pointed question. What if those people that believe it's wrong to eat meat offered to idols, what if they see you down there at the idol's temple and you eat of that meat? And what if it makes them think, well, hey, if that deacon's willing to do it, well, if that Christian, that, uh, if, if that Christian lady uh, is willing to eat it, and I know she goes to church, she's even a deacon's wife. And they think, well, if it's all right with them or that pastor, then what's wrong with it? And then they eat. Thinking, they were thinking that they shouldn't, but they follow your example, your influence. Notice what he says. And here is the key to the chapter. He says, but when ye sin so against Christ or against the brethren. Now, first of all, stop right there. What does he call it? calls it sin, doesn't he? He calls it sin. If your influence influences someone to do that which they thought was wrong, but they're following your example because you were so sure, he says you sin, not only that, and wound their weak conscience. What's the next thing? Ye sin against Christ. Question, is it wrong to sin against Christ? I mean, this is, this is a no-brainer, right? As a matter of fact, I would think the last thing that any born-again believer would want to do is sin against Christ. This is very serious. So then he says, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, so here's Paul writing to these carnal Christians. I believe he's using sarcasm about the term of weak because he's already called these people what they are. They're carnal. In chapter 8, he's writing to these people on the level they thought they were at. In uh, chapter 4, he called them puffed up. In chapter 5, when they had allowed a man taken in adultery with his father's wife, he says you're, you're puffed up and you should be mourning. 
These people were so mixed up on right and wrong, and yet they were treating themselves like they were the authority of right and wrong. In chapter 6 and verse 5, they were going to law one with another. These were not spiritual people at all. It's amazing how many commentators say nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols like these strong Christians were eating here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, is Paul differing with the Holy Ghost here? Well, he can't because when he writes the book of 1 Corinthians, he is being moved by the Holy Ghost to put down everything he puts down. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So since the Holy Ghost already spoke about this in Acts 15, verses 28 and 29, Paul's definitely not disagreeing with that. But skip ahead to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Notice, beginning in verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He's just given examples from the Old Testament. And then in verse 15, I speak as the wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. What say I then? Now get this, that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to who? Devils. This is very real. They're not sacrificing to real gods, but they are sacrificing to real devils. And then he says, and not to God, and I would not, that ye should have fellowship with devils. Now, he gets very definite in the next verse. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is something that he firmly condemns because even though they had taken two pieces of knowledge that were correct, that an idol is really nothing and that there is only one true God and they had come to a false conclusion about meat offered in sacrifice to idols. With their false conclusion, they were impacting other believers with their influence in a wrong way. And he says, you cannot do this. It's sacrifice to devils. They had missed the spiritual implication of what they had done. A lot of Christians are that way in their life. They go about publicly not even thinking about the fact that other Christians see them. And they like to walk the edge, walk the line. And they've got their pet little things that they like to do that they know are preached against. And boy, they're proud of how they look and how they act and how they talk when they're around other Christians, not reasoning, not even reasoning the truth that their influence is impacting others, whether it be children or friends or neighbors or just other Christians that are in the church. This church at Corinth is in bad shape. They had a lot of problems, and it stemmed over this. They're just like the crowd. Well, I can go to the Hollywood movies. It won't hurt me. 
I don't see what's wrong with it. I can go ahead and listen to rock music and listen to songs about adultery and immorality and learn and have them cuss God and cuss one another and talk about wickedness and killing. It won't hurt me. I mean, all right, so what if I drink a little alcohol? I know what it says in Proverbs chapter 23, but I don't believe. And since it's not wine, it's beer. I don't see where you could even compare the two. So it won't hurt me. And then you do it and you influence others. Do you understand? We're going to give an account for our influence. What people see you do. You claim to be a Christian? then what is the influence that you're giving out there? An influence to draw people closer to Christ, closer to God, or an influence that draws them closer to the world to get as much out of the world that they can get and still be considered Christian. We ought to want to have a testimony of godliness for our Lord. Now, verse 8 the plus is not in the eating. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, as far as heaven is concerned, I'm not bound by prohibitions in scripture, but I should still be willing to obey. You understand? All right, let's say, for instance, let's take, let's take the matter of drinking. Now, I don't have any doubt drinking is a sin. I'm talking about drinking alcohol now, not water. It's wrong. God condemns it. God warns us about it in the scripture. There's so many verses dealing with that. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, to make us him drunken also, that thou mayest behold their nakedness. Drunks are not funny. Drunks are not funny. Do you know where all drunkards are going? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, they're going to hell. Do you have any idea how many beaten wives there are out there that were beaten by drunken husbands or drunken boyfriends? How many children have been physically and emotionally abused because mom and dad, under the influence of alcohol, either abused them physically or created a home life that is absolutely miserable for everybody? You say, I'm trying to hold myself back. I'd like to spend a while just preaching on drink and drunkenness. But when I get going on that, my face turns red, my veins bulge out. I was brought up in a drunkard's home. I know what goes on. I've seen it. I've seen the mess it causes in homes. Listen to me. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's exactly what booze does. It is wicked. It is wrong. And God's people. Knowing God, loving God, shouldn't have anything to do with it, period. I said I wasn't going to preach on it. Let me try to get myself back here where I want to be. But you can take a drink and still go to heaven. So should you? You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You can do a lot of things and still go to heaven. Because it's not whether you do or don't do those things that you get eternal life from. You get eternal life from Jesus Christ. And it's everlasting life. You can't lose it. I'll tell you what you can lose. You can lose any good influence that you're going to have on other people. And when you lose your testimony in those things, 
it's very difficult to get it back. It's amazing. I remember back in the 1980s, at that time, Jimmy Swaggart was the top evangelist for the Pentecostals. And there was one thing that I really appreciated about Jimmy Swaggart. He was the only preacher on TV that I knew about that preached against sin. I mean, he got specific. I mean, anybody says, well, I'm against sin. Yeah, what are you talking about? When you start telling what what sin is, then, brother, then you go to meddling, according to some people. And at least he preached against sin. I remember going into my barber there in Manchester, Tennessee, and I walked in the barber, and the barber said, Well, preacher, did you hear about old Jimmy Swagger? I said, No, what happened? I thought maybe he died or something. And uh, they said, Oh, he was caught with a prostitute. I said, No way. I'm not going to believe that unless I hear it come out of his own mouth. And that night on the TV, it came out of his own mouth. I had to change barbers. (laughs) Now, I'm sorry. He still may have a TV broadcast, and he still got his records and recordings and stuff like that. But when you talk about respect, that's what I think about when I think about Jimmy Swaggart. It's gone. Would you understand your testimony works that way with people as well? You remember David committed his sin? The Bible says, the prophet said, you caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. Thing is, that's not the only ones. His own home. His own home was impacted by death. You take a look at what his kids do. Amnon with Tamar. An example of the same lust that David had exhibited. The problems in the home, look what David had done to a man who was one of his mighty men. Faithful man. Treated him like dirt. What did Amnon do with Tamar? Treated his sister like dirt. Like a harlot. I mean, those chickens come home to roost. And the reality is not only did the baby die from that first union... But it did impact David's testimony to where people were willing to follow Absalom against him later on. When you lose your influence, he lost his influence to lead his people like he had been leading them. And it takes a long time to get it back. And a lot of people get hurt in the meantime. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Yeah, it's true. We all have knowledge. But something else is we all have influence for either good or for bad. And I want to tell you something. All over Madison County, there are people who used to go to churches. Now, I don't know if they were saved or not. But they used to go to churches who don't go now because some good Christian in a church they were attending, they saw go into a liquor store. Or they heard that person cuss somebody out with road rage. 
and they lost their testimony and their influence. You see, this matter of influence, you've got it. Do you esteem yours very high? The truth is, you know, our birthright is in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we treat our birthright in Jesus Christ with more disdain than Esau did his birthright. We claim to know Christ. We ought to live like it. Influence. It makes a difference. Our responsibility to other believers is absolutely key. I love my pastor. Got to see him a couple years ago. Matter of fact, we drove down to... uh, Chattanooga, so I could see him. That's where he's lived for the last few years, actually just south in the Georgia line. I got saved up in Michigan, of course, and in that area we had a number of Christian Reformed churches. It was interesting that most of the Christian Reformed pastors that I knew smoked. I mean, and they smoked openly. I mean, you know, they didn't hide it in their office or anything. They smoked in their car while they're walking around town, whatever. But one thing about the Christian Reformed up there, at least back then, I don't know what it's like today, but on Sunday, they didn't go to restaurants. They didn't take Sunday papers. They treated it like a Sabbath where they didn't do any of that stuff. So my pastor, because of the Christian Reformed people in town, he did not want to be a bad testimony to them. He, went, he wouldn't even take a Sunday paper because he didn't want them to see a Sunday paper sitting out there on his driveway in the morning. He would not go out to eat at a restaurant on a Sunday lest some Christian Reformed people see him going in there. Now, he's a Baptist, He wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about having a right influence on those Christian people. That was my pastor. A concern for others in the testimony. Yeah, okay. Should we be so concerned? Absolutely. By the way, if you have a website, you're on Facebook, Tinder, Instagram, whatever, you ought to be very concerned about what's on it. Because what you have on your Facebook site, what you allow on your Instagram site, what you allow influences other people. And shame on you if you hurt a Christian. Because if you do, you have sinned against Christ. Now you got to deal with him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, I I wish I could preach this better. I wish I had more voice tonight. But Lord, as best as I know how, I've tried to get the message across. We have something very precious in our testimony. And that's a power to influence people. That can be used for good or for evil. May we determine in our lives, in each part of our lives, as much as lieth in us, May our influence be to help bring others to you. God, I pray that you convict. God's people would get right where they're not right. I pray, Lord, if there's any here that are without Christ, 
that they would see their need for the Son of God and turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. But have your will in our lives tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.